They're almost making the catch. He did make the catch. At the 30 is Wolfolk. He one-handed it. Tipped in the air and on his back, he grabs it. It's a 34-yard pickup. Everybody coming again. Heichel going to loft it long man out there. He's got him. Billy Spagan, touchdown, Oklahoma. And now it's third and long, 27 to go. Crab straight drop. Sideline intercepted. Derek straight. And straight might go straight to the end zone. Touchdown. How about those highlights? Awesome 2000 game, one versus two. Uh, I just looked it up on YouTube. I'm watching that game right now, and like some of the scenes before that game throughout the stadium were just crazy. And awesome, I remember man. the week leading up to it was crazy. And um, I guess the game ended up being crazy, which – uh, would you like an opportunity to prove how smart you are? Um, yeah, let's do it. Let's come on. I'm a little nervous. Okay. So you Nebraska week's a big week. I'm a little nervous, but we'll see. You should be nervous. This is not an easy question. So as they're leading up to the game, you know, they show the national rankings and that OU is number two and Nebraska is number one. Can you name the top five at the time? Ooh, that's a good question. So, Virginia Tech was in the top five. They still had Michael Vick, I want to say. Right? Virginia Tech was, like, number three? They, yes, they were number three. Okay. Um, that's impressive. And did they still have Vick at that time? They were in the national championship game the year before. I thought that they still did. Regardless, whatever. Virginia Tech was there. Now, by that time, Miami already had a loss at Washington early on in the year. And I know Washington went on and won the Rose Bowl that year. I'm going to guess Washington was in the top five at that point. No. No, no? Hmm. Kansas State just lost the week before. I don't think that they were there. Texas definitely was not there. Um... Was Michigan in the top five at that point? No, you're forget. Who did we play in the national championship? Oh, dude, y- yeah. I why did I totally re- forget Florida State, even though that they had lost to Miami? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Who, it who were, was who were the other it two? Was, Miami was four, and Florida State was five. Okay. Well, I Miami had already had a loss. I guess they probably both had a loss at that point, didn't they? I, I don't know. It didn't. I, I, it didn't show the records or anything. I just I thought it was interesting that Virginia Tech was still at that point. In the top five, I don't. I have no idea. That's what the one you thought I was going to miss, and it's the only one that I got right. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> right when you said Virginia Tech at number three, I was like, oh, uh, okay, <laughs> wow. Yeah. But that still, I'll give you, I'll give you um, positive marks Mike, for that. Michael that Vick was, was, was on that team, by the way, two thousand. Okay, now that extended highlight reel you played. I asked you over the break earlier. Is that? Andre Wolfolk catch, where does it rank in all-time catches at OU? Because, like, it's an amazing acrobatic catch. It's one versus two. 
I, I'm not sure where exactly it came in the game, but it felt like it was... You were down 14-7 at that point. You were down 14-7, okay. so you know you finally get that touchdown to cut the lead in half. You get a stop, you get the ball back, and then you know it was kind of that play where maybe you started to be like, is this our day? Is this just right. going to be our day here? So it wasn't in like garbage time or anything. It was at a big part of the football game. It's one of the most – It's in terms of, like, the skill of it, it's one of the best, if not the best. But I think when you combine its impact, I, I think it's one of the best catches of not just OU Nebraska history, but all time for OU. Because yeah. there's never – here's the thing, man. You've seen incredible one-handed catches in the end zone or incredible catches on the sideline or greener. You've never seen a catch like that, though, in OU history. On the ground, kick it up to yourself and catch it. And really, there's not a whole lot of those in college football history where you've seen a play like that. It's it's extremely unique. Right. Yeah, it's wild. Crowd was insane. The pictures of that, they used to have them hanging up in the uh, Switzer Center. Um, like with him making the – I think the ball's like in the air and you see him looking at it and putting his hand up to grab it. Um, and like the people in the, in the background, it's just – it's awesome. Crazy. Yeah, like the the top three catches in OU Nebraska history are some of the most impressive in school history. You've got the Wolfolk catch. You've got the DJ Graham interception. And I know that half of the comments last year were, he should have just knocked it down. OU would have had better field <laughs> position. You remember that? But regardless, yeah. like what you think, it was still an unbelievable catch. Uh, that may be the most impressive interception of all time. And then I can't remember if it was 86 or 87. Um, Keith Jackson in Lincoln had a crazy one-handed catch down the field that set yeah, up a score for It was down the sideline, right? Yeah, yeah. caught it down the yeah. sideline. So yeah. if you were to rank the three biggest catches in OU Nebraska history, they might rank in the top five of best catches ever in OU football history. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing from that highlight reel is – Heupel's throw to Curtis Fagan, which Beautiful. I think that's Josh Heupel's best throw that he had at OU. I, the situation, zero blitz, he's fading away. You know, there's always one blo- unblocked guy. He ID, IDs him. He's fading away from that player and throws that off his back foot. Uh, absolute moonshot. And Curtis Fagan just... I mean, he is so fast. He's he looks like a a rabbit scurrying around because he he was so fast that he didn't really run in in a straight line. It was almost like a scatter type of line that he runs in, and you could see it on that as he's running, trying to run under it. This is so awesome. It looked Beautiful like uh, the scene in Little Giants where Hot Hands is going <laughs> out for a pattern, and the football turns into the toilet paper roll, and he catches it and scores a touchdown. That's what it felt like. You know, we you talk about Heupel's game that day. You talk about Wolfolk's game that day. Derek Strait's pick six. Who, who had an extremely underrated game that day is Josh Norman. The block oh, yeah. punts and then the end-around touchdown that he had. Josh Norman had a day against Nebraska in 2000. Oh, man. I, <laughs> I'm looking – all right, so Nebraska – OU's got the ball, so they're showing Nebraska's um, defensive starting lineup. Their, D, their D-line that day was Chris Kelsey at DN, Kyle Vandenbosch at DN, 
Jason Lore at tackle and uh, Jeremy Selecta. Jeez. Uh, it, <laughs> it was good. And they are all gigantic meatheads. And that's like that's that's so interesting. Like I grew up in the '90s, like the '90s, or my first memory of college football, like at their height. And I remember looking at those guys, and it was like the most intimidating thing that college football had to offer at that point, because oh, they yeah. were really fast. I mean, they always had a quarterback, obviously that could move, but they always, man, had a big, bruising tailback, fullback, huge D lineman, offensive lineman, and. Insert steroid joke here, but I can't imagine the first time you looked across the field at those dudes in 2000 and what you thought of those guys because they were I remember, massive. I remember the 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 opening kickoff. Their kickoff return team was standing out there, and one of their backup tailbacks, I think, was was like one of the. Um, one of the guys that's just in the level in front of the returner. And I I couldn't stop staring at his calves. It looked like bowling balls. I was like, I've never seen anything like that. And, like, Carlos Polk, their inside backer, was like 265 pounds. Uh, Finotti, their guard, Riola at center. And the Alexander kid that had it uh, – at tailback was gigantic. Always had one of those guys. Always. Yeah, I don't know what his actual size was, but he had like linebacker pads on, and he was playing tailback. It looked like he was two hundred. It was pounds. like in Waterboy. Remember they when they put Meany in the backfield, <laughs> yes. Coach Red yeah. Bowu, like that. Nebraska always had. Now they didn't get uh, power bombed. Compliments of uh, Captain Insano, <laughs> like he did, but God, Captain it, it's just. The level of uh, athlete they had back then was just stupid. And they're long ways away from that. Long ways away. But, no, nah, that, that 2000 game, man, I um, – will we ever see an atmosphere like that around here ever again? No. Uh, well, uh, hang on now. Maybe with the home playoff game. Yeah. Against the right that, opponent. Against the right opponent, a home playoff game. You know, we've we talked we talked about we went through all of this last year, but you know, for me that was my that was my first like college football experience. I had seen some like the year before. I went to some OU games, but man, I lived in the Bud Wilkinson dorm, and there was students camped outside. Like I don't know where they got their their tickets, or did they? You, you had to like show up to get your tickets or something. They were camped outside the stadium right there by Jenkins, like starting on like Tuesday. Tuesday night to get in line to get their tickets. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, it'd be awesome to see something like that happen again. But it's just kind of not that, you know, there's 95% of students at OU that don't care about football. It's just that generation just thinks a little bit differently now in terms of camping out to go to a football. You know what I mean? Like that, that was a well, thing 20 years ago, and maybe it gets back to doing that at some point, but I, I – I don't feel like we're close but, to that. But it was a it was a rare it was a rare situation where you had a an already giant fan base. But it had been so long that it, it you know the, and and the fans still came. Don't get me wrong, but you had like it it it's just it's just it'd be like it's like Alabama being an underdog. 
you know, and come. It's 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 something weird to where you have a gigantic fan base, one of the best historical programs ever, that somehow is the little guy. That's you know how you you in March Madness whenever one of the small teams that no one knows anything about goes on a run. I mean that was Oklahoma in two thousand, but. It just so happened to be a blue blood program, you know what I'm saying? It's just yeah. you, you don't get those those circumstances very often. To go I mean, runner, would, to go runner, runner like that, uh, three in a row, um, that still blows my mind. I, I I wonder how critical that bye week was in between K State and Nebraska, but to yeah. win those three games in a row like that with only one of them being a home game is still, and to win all of those games by double digits, man, that's crazy. Just yeah. to roll through those three opponents like that the way that you did. Um, this is a great joke on the text line from the 918, and you won't get it unless you listen to the opening segment of the show. But it says, just imagine how crazy the atmosphere would have been in that 2000 game if it was at Nebraska. Oh, that is. That's beautiful, isn't it? That is a killer text. Those are the text messages I live for right there. Uh, I love that so much. I don't know how Amazing. many people were listening to the first segment, but. Nah, that's 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 big time. That's good. That is amazing. <laughs> oh, good stuff. I am uh, well, still sitting around thirty-eight twenty-three. By the way, I haven't. I thought I might fluctuate a little bit from Tuesday, the last time we talked, but I that's where I'm still at. Thirty-eight twenty-three. OU wins by two scores. Hmm. Well. And that, and, and by the way, 38-23, that could look a lot of ways. That could look like 38-10, and you're, the game's never really in question. They score a couple right. of garbage touchdowns late. 38-23 could be a close game late, and you separate yourself. I think the first half is going to be really, really tight. And then I think OU's going to separate itself right around mid-third quarter, late third quarter, have a two-score lead, and hold that throughout the rest of the game. That's kind of how I see it. Yeah. Hmm. It's hard. It's hard to put your finger on it because I expect, I expect Oklahoma to be pretty much by far the best they've looked this season. You know, it's the home opener against UTEP. Yeah, you. You're all amped up for the home opener. It's the first game out there. A bunch of guys at new starting spots. Um, you know, it's emotional, but at the same time, it's UTEP. And it was it was brutally hot. You have to factor that in. And then you got Kent State. And, you know, you, you start off slow. Third quarter, you start to rip it, look pretty good. Right. For me, as far as I know, we have everyone back. All right, Wanye Morris back. Everyone that we projected as starters are going to be out there on the field. You've got two games under your belt. You've got surely some things that you are doing that you haven't really put out there yet because you wanted to, to keep some things in reserve because you didn't know going into the year what like how big because. A lot of people, myself included, thought Nebraska was going to be quite a bit better this year. Oh, yeah. So so you, you were gearing up for this game with that in mind. 
So I feel like they're going to have some things there for Nebraska's defense. And just the environment, first road game, they're building this up. The staff is. Venable's been talking about the history and everything. I just I feel like you're going to get the best version of Oklahoma we've seen all season. I hope so. Uh, Stewart, by the way, before we hit a break, says, correct me if I'm wrong, Barry Switzer won more games in Lincoln against Nebraska than Tom Osborne did. I think that's right, Stuart. And I was uh, randomly looking today. Must have had a lot of time on my hands. I was looking at, like, the heyday of this rivalries in the 70s and the 80s. So I I was, like, counting up the win-loss for OU in Lincoln throughout the 70s and the 80s. And I think my final tally was OU 8, Nebraska 3, games in Lincoln throughout the 70s and 80s. And uh, it just kind of yeah. like, – there was definitely some games, 78 being one of them, 71 being one of them. There were definitely times where both teams were really good and Nebraska won the game. But, man, it kind of feels like when both teams have been really good, OU's been able to able to find a way to win the game in the series. I, I, it doesn't matter Saturday because Nebraska's not very good. But historically, when both teams have been good, OU's kind of traditionally found a way to win. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. Definitely true. We've we I think we've talked about that before is that it's a great rivalry, but man, Switzer Switzer dominated. Yeah, he did. Dominated. Uh real quick fifty five twenty three, final score. Kendall says thirty one seventeen. Uh nine one eight fifty two twenty one. David Talley says we're gonna be win by twenty four. Mark that one down. We're getting some aggressive okay. scores today. Dang. All right. I just, just marked it down. <laughs> Win by 24. Good. Please do. Um, well, I, it's again, everything that I've seen, everything that I feel says we, we go up there, we play our best, and we dominate. But I just I know that it's not that easy, man. But, it, uh, but I can't I can't quantify that in any way. I can't tell you why. I can't I can't give you anything that says uh, because of this it's going to be a really close game. I just I can't. There's nothing there other than a feeling. There's no reason why OU can't go up there and play their best game of the year. And I'd like it to switch to that narrative, please, because we always seem to talk about. Well, you're going to get Texas' best game. Well, you're going to get Kansas State's best game. Well, you know, up there in Stillwater, OSU's going to play their best game. I'd like for it to flip and we'd say, well, I mean, OU's going to go play their best football up there. We don't really ever seem to talk about that all that much. How about OU give someone their best game? How about that happens on Saturday? Okay. That's right. That's right. I, I actually like that a lot. I like that a lot. History. I mean, I can't even. The last time Nebraska played what you could consider their best game probably had to be Northwestern last year when they beat them fifty-six to seven. <laughs> the last time in about ten years where it's happened. Worst case o- scenario. October of last year. Worst case scenario has happened in Nebraska this year. By the way, the absolute worst case scenario. Right. But here's the thing. That was not. That was a three and nine football team last year. But they played Michigan, a playoff opponent, to a three point football game. They played Ohio State, who was number five at the time. 
Nebraska was what three and six. All right, three and six, and they played number five Ohio State with that offense that they had last year to a 26-17 football game. Like it's just it's stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they play to the level know. of their opponent, good or bad. They have an amazing ability to do that. At least the past 13 games they've had, or the 13 losses, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, the week before that Ohio State game, they lost to Purdue, 28-23. So, I don't know. You just can't quantify any of it. It's it's tough. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Hour number two rolls on here from Newcastle Casino. Bringing you the physical, relentless, suffocating coverage of the Sooners you deserve. This is The Ref, the home of Sooner fans. Need a doctor now? Not sure what kind of doctor you need? Just call 405-515-5000, Norman Regional's Community Call Center. From 8 a.m. been the tone of the Nebraska fan base for about the past three weeks ever since that loss to Northwestern happened in Dublin. It is the rush on the ref. Tyler McComas, Teddy Lehman, Air Comfort Solutions, text line 405-651-3439. Someone asking if uh, Barry or Coach Switzer is going to be at the game on Saturday. I don't know if Coach Switzer is going to be at the game on Saturday. I bet he's doing the coach's cabana somewhere around here. He's probably at his house. It's where he's doing it from. Probably. I don't know. Johnny Rogers. Johnny Rogers, though, will uh, be at the game on Saturday. He's going to get honored during the game because it's the uh, 50th anniversary of his Heisman season. Do you think I should Hmm. yell out there were three clips on that play during that moment? Missed the clip. I might do it. Of course you should. I just don't know that – it's safe. The last time you tried something like that, you almost got tuned up. That was a jorts reference, right? Yeah, I asked a Florida fan uh, where his jorts were. And, yeah, I thought that that was going to escalate into a fight. He cranked it up uh, really and aggressively he, in a short amount of time, he right? He was at a level at 11 a.m. that I was not ready for. Found out <laughs> real quick. Uh, text line, Patty Gasso just got a nice bump in salary. She'll make $1.6 million. That's almost as much as Teddy makes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, oh, I just got a a quick – I've just been handed a note. Yes. you going to be there? Sweet. Switzer will be at the game. Oh, hell, so, I miss a trip to Lincoln. Hell no. <laughs> so will Keith Jackson. Cool. So, that's awesome. And – yeah, Coach Patty Gasso's getting close. Not quite there to my salary, but she's getting close. 
uh, hey, do you know of any good shopping areas around Lincoln? That must be <laughs> Caleb Williams on the text line. <laughs> oh, man. Good afternoon, gents. Nothing to add since I just signed on, but haven't said hello to the Rush in quite a while. Planning to stop by and say hello in person for the Kansas State game next week. That's from Toby in the Pentagon. Well, hey, mm. look forward to seeing you. Man, that, which, a, a, a change of topics. But. Yeah, it's going to be tough. If you, if, if you want to know how dumb college football is, Texas A&M just lost to Appalachian State. And they're in the top 25. And Kansas State is not in the top 25. And Kansas State looks really, really, can, can really good Can we keep the number right 25 now. going on? Because K-State would beat A&M by 25 points if they played on Saturday. I would take, starting with number 25, Oregon, I would take Kansas State to beat Oregon, A&M, Pitt, I haven't seen uh, Penn State. They will beat Texas this year. I think they'd beat Ole Miss. I think they'd beat Wake Forest. Florida uh, depends on uh, Anthony. I mean, NC State, yes. I'd have them beating most of the teams from 25 to about 12. I am ready for next week already. Um, I Trust me, you will get the tone from me that it will be a tough game. Teddy, on the other hand, will be building Kansas State up to be the 2001 Miami Hurricane. So get ready for that. Mm. One slight mistake, and you might lose by 30 to this K-State team. Just letting everyone know what his toes no, going to be like next week. They're not going to be a team that can beat you by a huge amount. But they could be a team that has the football for pretty much the entire game hey the offensive line if it's gotten better at all this past week like the next two weeks are going to tell us if this offensive line is ready to be any sort of good or not and you better be some sort of good in the next two weeks or you will get exposed I mean way more against Kansas State than Nebraska but I still think it'll be pretty obvious if you can't you can't get a push up front against this team yeah how the offensive line plays this week against Kansas or against Nebraska will tell you what you should expect next week against Kansas State. Like, you just you got to get it rolling. And I know they've played they played South Dakota and they played Missouri, but and they got Tulane this week. But man, they look they look excellent. It's I mean it's a throwback team. It looks like it looks like an old school. Kansas State from a decade ago when uh, Colin Klein was there or even go further back. Um, Athletic quarterback, playmaker at running back that's really small and a really good defensive line that will get after you. Yeah, and it's all run game. They don't even, They just kind of throw the ball as a changeup right now. Pretty impressive. Yeah, um, but let's focus on the task at hand here. Nebraska yeah. coming up here on Saturday. How yeah. is the prep – any different, or is it different whatsoever when we're talking about an interim head coach on the other side? How does that change things? Well, for the for the players, it's not going to change anything. And for the staff, it probably doesn't change much. 
Um, you're definitely going to have your antennas up more on special teams for uh, gadgets, for onside, fake punts, stuff like that. Uh, you know, the, the offensive situation, and it has less to do with there being an interim head coach and more to do with this is now Whipple's offense all the, all the way across the board, right? And whatever influence that Scott Frost had on it, is now going to be gone, and what does Whipple change that he wasn't given um, the ability to do previously whenever Frost was there? Yeah. Yeah, I, so. don't, I mean, I guess we'll have to find out <laughs> what, what exactly that means. Does that make mean more chances down the field? Well, if they're going to take a chance in, in special teams or two, then – I know OU hasn't given up a deep ball this year, but I I fully expect to see some deep balls thrown by Casey Thompson on Saturday, and probably more than OU's defended this year. I think they're going to take their chances down the field. Yeah, it, it, in my opinion, it'll be more about the the RPO stuff um, because Nebraska just you know for whatever reason has not been a team that. That does any of the RPO, and I think you're going to see Whipple's influence on that, and they may start to do some of it. But here's the thing: it's like that is that is something that really needs to be developed, and it's hard to implement in just one week, especially a big, big bunch of it. Like maybe off of a couple of different concepts, you may see it, but. Um, you wouldn't expect to just see all of a sudden them flip the switch and start pulling that out, you know, every set of downs. Like, unique situations, like, I do expect to start to see some RPO from Nebraska. Uh, Peyton says, I did hear someone mention that Mickey Joseph was the receivers coach for LSU when Edo took over, and he's besties, so that's scary. Interim Ed's best team was when he was taking one over. Yeah. Well, I think it's a it's a little bit different circumstance. Nebraska not anywhere nearly as talented as the LSU teams that Coach O took over. Uh, not close. I mean, especially defensively. LSU right. still had some dudes on the defensive line at back, or they always do. I just like I told you earlier, I was waiting for somebody to pop for Nebraska defensively and last year they did man they had you know three or four guys that you said oh they look like they look like good football players I don't know what's happened I I don't see I don't see one of those guys this year yeah you think they would at least have a couple of guys defensively that would pop but I not as through three games no no they they have not looked good they're their D-line, like, O'Shawn Mathis is there, and, you know, he's we've seen him play some really good football in the past whenever he was at TCU, but so far this year, man, he looks he just looks out of shape to me. He has not looked sharp. He doesn't have that that bounce that he had. I guess he had a, was a knee injury or something. Yeah. Did he go through spring ball at Nebraska? Because I feel like he – Super late. I feel like he like had to finish up at TCU, or he did finish up at TCU. He may have missed virtually the entire spring, and I wonder if that's holding him back any. Right. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I, I'll i tell you this. 
our defensive ends are they may have the biggest game they've had so far. I, I hope so. That's... The tackles for Nebraska are one of them's like 6'9", and the other one's like 6'10", but they don't bend well. They they set way too deep almost every single play. Like we got a good opportunity to whip those guys. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Hour number two rolls on next. It is the rush on the ref. Tyler McComas, Teddy Lehman. We call this segment What Caught Teddy's Eye. Let's get to it. Story number one is. Yep, only got uh, a couple of things today. Uh, first, give a quick shout-out to our friends over at Roof Tech. Josh Tucker, former teammate of mine, runs the biz over there, does an outstanding job, and can handle any of your roofing needs. Um, Michael Jordan, last dance jersey, sold for a shocking Shocking $10 million. So, wait, a jersey that he wore – what do you mean by the last dance jersey? I, yeah, I His think last it's game the, ever? I think it's the, the, the jersey from, like, I don't know if it's necessarily from that championship or exactly what one. I think it's from that season. Yeah. Huh. $10 million. Golly. For a jersey. Some people just have too much money to throw around for a jersey, $10 million. We say Uh, that every time something like this happens, but ultimately those same items end up going later for even more money. Well, it's an investment if you've got $10 million to just throw around. There is no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, It was the one worn by Jordan in game one of the 98 NBA Finals. Oh, the so last that, that wasn't even his. Oh wow, that's not even the last Bulls jersey that he ever wore. Yeah, that still went for ten million. Dang, crazy, right? Hmm. You think they're going to sell all? Was well, that that went six games? They're going to sell all six jerseys? <laughs> yeah, the last one's probably going to go for a cool twenty million. I bet they. I bet they only had. Um, I bet they only had two jerseys from that season, though. Like they're. The red and the white. Didn't they have a black alternate, though? Do you remember kids wearing those? The black with the red lettering? Uh, I remember it. I don't know what season specifically they wore it, though. I wouldn't want the uh, flu game jersey because it would have reeked of alcohol. That's not the one I would want to buy, but (laughs) sure it goes for a pretty penny. Uh, alcohol and cigars. Don't forget <laughs> the cigar smoke. It like cigars. Um, the only other thing I have is I know... Our text line and listeners are huge into tennis. Roger Federer retiring. Um, he made a lot of money as a t- tennis player, uh, well over $100 million. So congratulations to him. Uh, I got a few here. First, I- I'm going to go to this one because it's a fun story. It's a, it's a story from College Game Day on Saturday that I actually saw, but then there's an added article to that that provides even more you know, kind of behind the scenes. So Mike Loxley got fired as the head coach at New Mexico 
And he did what so many other coaches have done. He went and was an off-the-field role for Nick Saban, right? Making like $33,000 a year. So while Mike Loxley was doing that, working for Saban, he said, I absolutely hit rock bottom. Because you think as an analyst for Saban that all you're doing is in a back room with a bunch of other fired head football coaches and you're analyzing practice, you're analyzing film. Nah, that's not always necessarily the case. If you're the low man on the totem pole like he was, he even had to usher like the kids to the nearby pool that were the kids of like the coaches and the staff and everyone out there. Mm. So Mike Loxley went from being a head coach of a Division One program to leading and watching a bunch of kids swim while their dads were coaching. So that was the story on game day to where he said, I'm walking out there and I'm saying to myself, this is rock bottom. I can't believe that I'm here. And then I read an article today. He was rooming with Lane Kiffin at the time to save some money because he wasn't making all that much. And I guess while he's taking those kids out to the pool, he calls Kiffin and he says, man, you won't believe what I'm doing right now. I've hit rock bottom. And Kiffin says, no, I know exactly what you're doing. I'm watching and laughing at you right now from our seventh-floor apartment building. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about humiliating, though, right? Golly. Well, what what was Kiffin at the time? Was he He kind of the same role? He was – I think he was right there at the same role working – no, because I think he – did he go straight to be in the OC there? I think it may have took him a couple of years. I I think now that you say it, they were both kind of in off-the-field roles, but Kiffin had risen to a level where he didn't have to do that type of duty anymore. Yeah. Well, just think, though, that at that point, Kiffin had been the head coach of the Raiders, uh, Tennessee for a very limited amount of time, the Trojans, I. That, that's kind of everyone. You have to go there and you have to just swallow your pride and leave any of your previous accomplishments at the door and go in with with low expectations of, you know, of, of having any influence over the program and just start to grind and start to work. I, that's yeah. why I think it ends up being such a, a good thing for so many of those guys is you can't – there is no resting on anything that you've done previously, which no. – you're you're usually able to do wherever you go, right? Yeah. Let me let me get three quick here. Uh, the Queen apparently she had a she really liked Wii bowling, and she had a 24 karat gold Nintendo Wii. Wonder who gets that in the uh, in the will? 24k gold Nintendo Wii. Love Wii bowling. Love the original Wii. Frivolous. Stupid as hell to have a gold <laughs> Wii. Yeah, it was given to her, I'm sure. At least I heard. Right. Sark was asked about his update on his three quarterbacks. Sark said, quote, You guys can keep poking the bear on what I do at quarterback. At the end of the day, I'm not going to give you game planning decisions on how we practice. There's a reason you guys don't come to practice. If I wanted you to know who took snaps, I'd let you come to practice. End quote. Yeah, well, uh, it's the third team guy, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Caden Helms, right? yeah, Caden Helms, going back to Nebraska as a member of the Oklahoma Sooners. Apparently, he needs twenty-four tickets for the game this weekend. Woo. Did you ever need twenty-four tickets for all friends and family members for a game when you were playing at OU or in the NFL? 
No, I mean, I could have allocated 24 tickets. Like, if I had 24 tickets, um, if I had 24 people that needed them, I probably, well, in college, it's really hard. At least at that time, it was super restrictive on on the whole ticket situation. I don't know how much that's changed. but Two LSU guys got suspended for the national championship game because I think they sold them or did something yeah. with their ticket allotment. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's super restrictive, but I, I it's sad to say, Tyler, that I was not very uh, involved too much with the whole ticket thing. <laughs> Thank I, God, you weren't going to get much of a response uh, with the ticket situation. Last me, one that you won't care about until January 9th, but for whatever reason, the national championship game has been moved up to 6.30 this year, January 9th, 2023. Yes. Scheduled to start like 7.15, 7.30. Now it's 6.30 Central. What day? Is that Monday January, night? Is it still January Monday? 9th, yeah, I would, I would guess so. Huh. Interesting. That is, that's, that's fascinating. Oh, well. Uh, good. We'll get that thing rolling a little bit earlier. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We'll wrap up hour number two next. Oklahoma Buick GMC dealers bringing you hour number two of the rush. Brian Bosworth just got done uh, texting him. Should be on the show coming up in about five minutes at the top of the five o'clock hour at about 5.02. So excited awesome. just like we did last year, OU Nebraska week, talking to Boz about the Sooners and Huskers coming up next hour, which will be fun. And um, while I'm trying to make that happen, all I can hear during the break is Teddy say, whoa. <laughs> I guess he's watching the 2000 OU Nebraska game during breaks. I don't know. Uh, I just watched Torrance Marshall absolutely annihilate Nebraska's fullback and knock him right into Eric Crouch and knock both of them to the ground. And the the fullback is like he he looks absolutely shocked as to what he's like still messing with his helmet trying to figure out what just hit him in the face. Is awesome. Um, what's more impressive? We talked about OU Nebraska catches. That hit or when Roy Williams about killed someone on the second play of OU Nebraska in 01 in Lincoln? Uh, they're just different, you know. It's, it's one thing, like Roy's play is amazing. It's just a different animal whenever you, there's two guys, they're lined up, you know, about eight or ten yards apart snap there's the huge hole that opens up in the b gap and it's just here comes the collision both guys know it you're 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 not hitting someone that doesn't see you coming it is it is two cars just slamming into one another head on and whenever you blow a guy up that's that it is all he does is that it it tells you something it's pretty awesome <laughs> that guy right into uh. eric crouch <laughs> and he hit a guard earlier they had this big play they pulled both the guard and the tackle around and he hit the guard in the mouth and that dude he was he was messed up too <laughs> t marsh could bring it all right quick timeout. we got the boss coming up next stay tuned